This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Hello and welcome to Sex and Science Hour. This is episode 10. I'm Stephanie and you are Brian. Of course. Hello. Thank you for tuning into our show. Wow, we're in the double digits now. I don't know how we lasted this long, really. We thought no one was going to listen to our show, but apparently some people do. Yeah, some. I mean, we, we still get the same amount of listens and downloads. And... <laughs> Poor Adam B. Levine. He thought this was going to be like a professional show of some kind, and we just <laughs> totally train wrecked the entire network. So uh, anyway, someone's oops, sorry about do that. It. Yeah, someone's got to do it. And I think uh, what better person than us? That's right. The headbangers ball of the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. Oh, there you go again. Uh, <laughs> so, so, Brian, we just got back from a lot of traveling, didn't we? We do. Oh boy. Talk about a lot of traveling. I'm still recovering from it. We got home yesterday and I still am like, man, I need a major vacation from my vacation. It wasn't really a vacation. It was more a working trip. We were at the Inside Bitcoin's New York conference, as we mentioned on the show two episodes ago, I think. Uh, We did a big recording session two weeks ago and then we uh, got home and realized, uh, oh, we need to record again. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we went to the Inside Bitcoins conference in New York City, and then we headed to Toronto basically like the next day to go to the uh, Toronto Bitcoin Expo. Uh, the Toronto conference was um, probably my uh, uh, the one that I like better out of the two, Certainly. although there were some cool things about New York. Mostly it was outside of the conference, just the people that we saw there. Got yeah. some good content for Let's Talk Bitcoin, was interviewed for a couple of um, documentary videos about Bitcoin. So, you know, that was kind of cool. Got to interview some cool people. Those will be probably coming out on Let's Talk Bitcoin soon. But the conference itself and in, in New York was just, I was really disappointed to see how focused it was on regulation and sort of first world issues like that. And it was just like I was on a panel about remittances in the developing world and Bitcoin. And even on that panel, everyone else was just talking about, well, how can we make this KYC compliant? (laughs) And it was like, really, the people who are getting like microloans and remittances don't care about that. You realize that, right? Yeah. And (laughs) I mean, yeah, there just wasn't much talk about like the actual uh, ideas. It was more like this stuff that's imposed by the government. So I was disappointed about that, you know. Um, well, were- I, it's just, it's unfortunate because you go to some of these, not all, because the Toronto conference wasn't this way, but you go to some of these conferences and they're all asking for regulation and they don't, they, they forget, they don't realize that the reason Bitcoin is having a conference is because it grew the way it did. It because does of the, the libertarians. Well, because of no regulation, because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't regulated. It was allowed to thrive because it didn't have this regulation. And so it's oh, yeah. just ironic when they think that somehow regulation is going to help it get bigger when what made it big in the first place was the lack thereof. Oh, now they're saying step aside, libertarians, we're done with you. Yeah, you've served yeah. your purpose. Go, yeah, go away absolutely. now. Um, I will not be going away personally. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, maybe I'm just grumpy because New York City is just like... It, it everything felt like it was being rationed. It was like this survival yeah. scenario. We're, we live in New Hampshire out in the sticks and, you know, we're used to having wide open spaces and a lot of room to move around and do whatever we want. We live very freely up here yeah. in New Hampshire. And in New York, it's just like, wow, you're always being uh, kind of funneled into these tiny spaces. And like we tried to go out to a restaurant with a group of nine people. Normally, that's not an issue at all where we live. And there wasn't room at the restaurant for like that big of a group to sit at the same table together so we had to like sit outside it was really weird and it was raining and you couldn't get a taxi and the taxis were more even like we used uber which we're going to talk about later on the show that was more expensive when it was raining it just felt like everything was like scarce and like people were fighting for resources my car got dinged in the parking garage oh it was just oh yeah yeah i mean there's just there's a lack of you know i grew up in new york city uh, for a while and i i think that there's just a, a lack of mobility 
that exists there. And look, well, you I'm, mean I, like if you're there, you can't get out? Well, that I don't necessarily mean that, but I mean just like you can't really get around very well, and like you, no. and, and you feel a lack of freedom in that. And look, I'm a parkour guy. I, you know, I'm all about you know coming up with alternative ways to to get somewhere but all those ways are illegal by the by the city so whatever you know it <laughs> well just, probably taking an uber is illegal too but we yeah did it probably anyway. is but who cares come get us yeah uh, anyway <laughs> toronto was toronto was a little more open you know yeah. I, I like that city that yeah, was the nice first city. time i was there they've got a great bitcoin community up there there's you know anthony diorio with the bitcoin decentral and um, the conference was very community focused, although there were a good amount. I noticed at the conference, there were a good amount of kind of like, I called them like leftist trolls, basically. <laughs> they were standing up at like every question and asking about like, what about these kids in Africa that don't have phones and like are living in a muddy hole in the ground? And what about them? They can't use Bitcoin. And what about the fact that, you know, 1%, they were talking about like the one percenters of Bitcoin, like the people who are adopted it early. Now they have most of the coins. And uh, it was it was interesting. I thought like I gave a talk about women in Bitcoin. It was called like, what does Bitcoin offer to women? And I really made it very um, individualism focused. It wasn't like a feminism talk. It was not a man bashing talk in any way. Right. I said that at the beginning of it. I was expecting a bunch of libertarians who would be ready to chew my head off because I said women and not people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but instead, I got like the total opposite. Like there were a bunch of like radical feminists in the audience who were like telling me that I was part of the patriarchy and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. You know, it'll be on YouTube if you want to watch that later, I'm sure. And and Brian, you did your um, is Bitcoin more real than gold talk. How, how was the response to that? Uh, I mean, the response seemed pretty positive. So it was a talk that went all over the place where I, you know, pretty much discussed about discussed the problems with all currencies, including mm. gold uh, and Bitcoin. And I didn't get to some points, but I think we might be able to get to them in this episode of Sex and Science Hour. Oh, actually, sure. To where I didn't get to talk about Bitcoin's biggest threat. Hmm. <laughs> well, you know, Ethereum was very prominent at this Toronto conference because, you know, that there's like kind of a base there and Anthony sponsors Ethereum and so mm -hmm. he's part of the team and so forth. And, you know, I have to be honest, I'm a little concerned that Ethereum is like the new world order. I have no comment. <laughs> okay, well, we'll find out a little bit more about that later. Uh, and we'll kind of reserve judgment because we got to move on. We've got some stuff to talk about. There's actual news happening in the world. Um, you know, on our travels, I thought this would be a good thing to talk about, like kind of segue in from talking about these conferences. On our travels, we did a lot of, um, you know, using these alternative kind of services that are popping up now, um, like Airbnb and also like some of the ride sharing apps like Uber, Sidecar and Lyft. Sure. And if you don't know what those are, they're basically apps that allow people. The last three that I mentioned are apps that allow people to share rides. So you can request a driver. People are driving around the city. You can see them on a map with GPS. They pick you up. They give you a ride somewhere. You pay them through the app. And, um, Incredibly efficient, very easy, all very fast. Cheaper blows than away, a taxi. Yeah, blows away anything the taxi services are doing or even the hotels are doing. And of course, in most cities, um, taxi service is incredibly regulated. In New York, you have to get these medallions, which is like a taxi license that costs, like last time I heard about this, it cost $100,000 to get one of these yeah. medallions yeah. and that you have to have in order to drive a taxi legally. Granted, and, you'll make $100,000 easy. I mean, like yeah, inside of a that, short period of time. But where does but, that come from? That comes from the people who are paying for the rides right, right. and they're getting just like turned upside down and shaken for their money oh, falling yeah. out of their pockets. I mean, yeah, it's, someone's got to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts to pay that much money for a taxi cab. And so these apps are kind of improving that. And, you know, aside from the cost, there just aren't enough taxis. That's the other thing. Mm -hmm. Like people have a demand to get from place to place in a city that's hard to get around in. And they sometimes need rides because it's raining or they have trouble walking or whatever, you know, I mean, and it's just, kind of there's not enough there's not enough taxis right and you know so these apps solve a problem same thing with hotels airbnb you know you can rent out your house or your apartment or an investment property or whatever or a summer home or you know anything any kind of structure to uh visitors who find your listing on a site like airbnb or nine flats which nine flats now accepts bitcoin 
oh, which fantastic. is interesting because an Airbnb um, doesn't, as far as I understand it. And Brian Armstrong from Coinbase, the founder of Coinbase, used to work at Airbnb. Oh, wow. <laughs> You'd think there'd be an in there. You would think, yeah. But um, the Airbnb has got their problems because obviously, just like the taxi drivers don't like Lyft, Uber and Sidecar, the established hotels do not like Airbnb. Or Nine Flats, I'm sure, even though that one's not as popular. Right. So what do they do? They appeal to uh, the city for regulation. And that's what we're going to talk about first here uh, on the show. Um, there's an article that I found in uh, in Time, which is, oh, I really don't like Time as a periodical. I think it's like it's time has passed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're covering this issue. And apparently in um, in California, where is this? I think it's in San Francisco. Um there's some politician who's like claiming that people are abusing Airbnb. They're getting, you know, second apartments so that they just so that they can rent them out on Airbnb. And the city already has an affordable housing crisis. Not that that's caused by the government or anything like that. And (laughs) the price of housing is going through the roof and something has to be done. Won't someone think of the children? (laughs) Please think of the children. No, um, (laughs) they haven't really pulled that canard out, but um, they're proposing this legislation where, you can only rent your place out on Airbnb if you live there for at least three quarters of the year, which is 275 days. So how are they going to check on that, by the way? Right. Um, they'll have Define to... Define live there. <laughs> right. They'll have to um, apply to... You know, if you add up all the time you spend at work, it would probably be like... <laughs> More than a quarter of the year, you know, because some some people just sleep in their apartments, you know, sometimes or they sleep at work. Yeah, considering how much the average person works. I mean, what do you spend in your how in your actual home? Uh, 50 days a year. Right. You know, (laughs) yeah, which is ironic because you're working you're working so hard. It's like that meme that's like work is something you do to afford the house that you can never be in because you're always at work and. The, the clothes that you have to wear to work and <laughs> yeah to afford this to afford the house you never spend time in and blah blah yeah. i love working at home because it saves so much time and money and yes. it's it's awesome it's just like really freeing but anyway um so you have to live in your place for at least three quarters of the year and you listen to this you have to apply to be in the city's registry of approved hosts and to remain in the database, you have to pay um, $50 application fee to the city, and you have to prove that your property has insurance of at least $150,000, and you have to collect taxes to the get- from the guests, which are basically, it's basically a hotel tax, uh, commensurate with the hotel tax. Okay. So what is that going to do? <laughs> Drive out a lot of listings so people won't be able to get a place to stay when they go to San Francisco. Uh, it's going to increase the cost for visit- visitors or consumers. It's going to take away a source of income for people who are renting out their apartments for a little cash on the side. Right. And it's going to just, you know, not be good for anybody <laughs> except yeah. for the city. Yeah. I mean, this is, again, like we mentioned earlier with Bitcoin, how did it get so big? How did it get so popular? Mm-hmm. It's because it wasn't regulated. Airbnb just did its business. Yeah. Now, and it solved a problem. Right. Airbnb would exist if there were cheap, affordable, and easy to, to get housing everywhere in the country. Right. Exactly. The people who are hurting from Airbnb are not consumers, are not your everyday people. The ones who are hurting are the hotels. Yeah. The established okay. and trans. Right. businesses. And yeah. if they have a problem with it, the answer isn't to regulate against Airbnb. The answer is for them to come up with a better business model mm-hmm. or to figure out it's their job to figure something out. The people figured out Airbnb. It's up to these, you know, these big hotel uh you, yeah, you know, or the taxi or union whatever, or the taxi union to figure out the problem and to solve it on their own. It is not for them to go lobbying to the government to say, "No, you need to solve this for us right now or we're going to be out, you know, we're going to be out of business." Well, then you go out of business. If yeah. I don't offer what people want, I go out of business that's how it works right that's how it it should work you know in the absence of someone interfering with things but yeah it's really sad i mean i saw a picture of these taxi union people protesting um the app like lyft uber and sidecar and they've got these signs which look like they they're they're very professional looking signs i think they paid a lot to uh, print these signs right uh, (laughs) there there are these um these signs that say would you ride with a stranger Ooh, scary strangers right now they're pulling out the children Uh, (laughs) unregulated equals unsafe 
Uh, you know, let me tell you, we took an Uber. That's another sign. You know what Uber came? It came a nice, long, black Lincoln town car. The thing was practically a limousine, cost yep. practically nothing. Mm-hmm. You're driving around in pure class in the city. Yep. Okay. Very nice, chatty drivers. Fine. I'll hop in a taxi, you know, in this in a jalopy that's barely getting down the road. If with, that's no you, with no seatbelts. With no seatbelts, if that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. Or I can pay a great price for a premium driving experience. Yeah. And it is all about the consumer, folks. That, Screw the business. That and the car, government. if that was from a limo company, or it, it would have been from a limo company because no cab yeah. is that nice. But like, if that car, if you paid for that car from one of the entrenched businesses, it would have been hundreds of dollars. And you know, we paid thirty bucks, you know, yeah. to go across town in New York or Boston or whatever. So, and yeah, I was in LA recently, and I was I wanted to get a ride to the airport, and I used Lyft. Actually, that was my first time using it. And the guy who who gave me a ride was super nice. Like he had a, ba- a basket of water and candies in the backseat of his car. Mm-hmm. The car was brand new. He was incredibly nice. He told me that he quit his um, full-time job to be a driver for these sure. uh, services. And he was telling me about how he has to kind of go into stealth mode and like turn off the apps when he gets around the airport because the cops at the airport oh, actually patrol and look for Lyft or sidecar Uber drivers and, and try to ticket them and stuff. Then the... That's that's so in, that's so insane. We we ha- our our incentives are just way off. Why exactly are we paying for police to give a damn, you know, about who's giving you a ride? Because if it was your friend, you know, I mean that like that you just knew and you gave them twenty bucks in gas. Hey, thank you. It's nice visiting you in New York City. Thank you for dropping me off at the airport. Who would care? You can't legislate this stuff. It's all a joke. Oh yeah, you know because there's really no difference between a lift car and your friend. Look, there isn't. People can email in, but trust me, there's there's just, you know, at the end of the line, at the end of the day of the morality, of the ethics of thinking of that, there's no difference. Mm. It's simple, just protectionism through yeah. and through. And my friend doesn't need a medallion. <laughs> yeah, this article here that I've got from Daily Tech, they actually say that in New York, uh, the taxi licenses, the, the medallions can cost up to one million dollars each. That's that's it's in, insane. That is that that's absolutely insane. That no costs, wonder their cars suck. Yeah, no wonder their cars suck, and it's it's so expensive to get a ride. Yeah, um, there's a regulation that's um, being proposed in Seattle that limits um, each of these companies, like Uber, Sidecar, and Lyft, to 150 drivers on the road at once. So, decentralized organization, how are they gonna? Yeah, how that, are they gonna enforce that? It's, it's just like. That's a point where they can find the company and collect money from them for being in violation right. of this constantly, right? Right. Um, there's another uh, lawsuit in Austin, I guess, where they're trying to crack down on these um, companies. In Philadelphia, they have uh, done sting operations for illegal cab cab drivers. And who is who does that protect or help except for the entrenched taxi drivers? It it just hurts ordinary people who are trying to get a ride for a reasonable yeah. price. And then they say, well, the taxi driver's got to make a living. Sure, work for Uber, work for Lyft. You know, no one's, yeah. no one's telling them they can't. And it's, oh, here, here's a quote from uh, the, the, the spokesman for the Philadelphia Parking Authority. Uh, he's talking about these uh, sting operations. Sidecar drivers are passing themselves off as taxis, and they're not. It's clearly not about technology. This is about... Any guesses? Public safety. Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah, because taxis are, I mean, they never have, you a, know what? They, ne- they always drive safely. Let, they never me, peel down yeah. the street. And, let me tell you, the other one of the other cars we got into through Uber mm-hmm. was a huge Chevy Suburban, one of the largest vehicles ever produced. Okay. You're going to tell me I'm safer in one of your little Camrys? <laughs> Or one of your little, you know, your Ford Focus or something? No, sir. Get get me in that Suburban. Yeah. And, you know, with taxis, you can't, there's no feedback. You know what I mean? I've gotten into a lot of taxis because we've been doing a ton of traveling this year. Um, I've gotten into a lot of taxis this year where it was really difficult to communicate with the driver. And please, I'm not complaining about people not speaking English. That's that's no no problem with me. But like it was just hard to communicate with them. They weren't very communicative or responsive. I didn't exactly feel super safe. You know, um, like sometimes I try to look for female cabbies just because I feel a little safer with them. But like sometimes you don't really have much of a choice. It's just whoever shows up. Well, they monopolize the field until now. And so they feel like they they have no need to please you. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly the thing. Like there is no system of feedback or there's no rating that you can give them except maybe not to ride with that cab company again. But if you're from out of town, you really don't know what the reputation of the cab companies is. Right. You know what I mean? And like, how do you know, actually, that somebody isn't just like does, isn't just like didn't steal a cab or something and just driving up to you and saying, oh, yeah, I'm a taxi. But with these apps, you have clear instances of feedback. You can give the driver a star rating. Yep. And on some of them, if you rate the driver below four stars, the driver gets banned from driving and you never get paired with them again. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's a great system of feedback in place with these apps. They're really decentralizing something that badly needs to be decentralized. It's just governments getting in the way as usual. As always. So, uh, Brian, this segment, we're out of time, but coming up here on Sex and Science Hour, we are going to talk about face bucks. Get ready for this. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sex and Science Hour. Stay tuned. There's more coming up. Sex and Science Hour is part of the Let's Talk Bitcoin network, and we are so excited. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What's Bitcoin? What's Bitcoin? What's Bitcoin? Well, you'll have to listen to Let's Talk Bitcoin to find out. It's a twice-weekly podcast, and you can find it at letstalkbitcoin.com. Okay, I gotta know. Yeah, you really should probably get on that. It has a whole network? Yeah, we're part of it. How did I not know about this? You must have missed the memo that we were on their network. Anyway, now back to Sex and Science Hour. Here at Sex and Science Hour, we love EasyDNS. They let you register domains, handle security for your website, email addresses, pretty much anything related to DNS or domain names, they can do it. They have a friendly staff of actual human beings, so if you need customer support, they will always be there for you. Plus, they are outspoken advocates for your internet freedom. And they take Bitcoin, of course. They now have fully managed WordPress and web hosting too, so you can do everything you need related to your website from EasyDNS. Take a look at their website at EasyDNS.com. We think you'll like what you see. Trust EasyDNS.com for your DNS and web hosting needs. Now back to Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. Brian, you're dancing again. This is so much fun. We're doing the show from our standing desk. Yes, I, I love 8-bit music. I just... I know. It really gets you dancing. Is yeah. it? Are we just too white? Like, is that the problem? We're just so ner- <laughs> white and nerdy. Oh, boy. So, Facebooks. We got to talk Fa- about this. Facebooks. Uh, so, Brian, this say that is, three times fast. We're going to file this under the we called it department. How about that? How about that? Because <laughs> I remember more than a year. Was it? It was like it was definitely more than a year ago, right? When Facebook had their IPO. Oh yeah. When yeah. did they do that? Yeah, it was that a was like years last. Ago. Was it two years ago or I was think, yeah. one year ago? I thought it was no, last I, year. It was beginning of 2012, I believe. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you're right or about not that. Beginning, but maybe... um, like like May 2012 around there. I, I okay. Say maybe that summer. Yeah. You know, it's hard because even though we do a podcast, we don't really bother fact checking too much. So yeah, uh, admittedly. So anyway, <laughs> uh, we weren't prepared for that. But anyway, it was over a year ago that Facebook did their IPO. And at that time, I remember having a conversation with you about the idea that what they were going to do in the future was they were going to roll out some kind of credit or digital currency system. Yeah. And you nicknamed it um, Facebook's. And then, you know, over time, us talking about it, uh, we had trouble pronouncing it and occasionally started to just call it Facebook. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, apparently now they're making this a reality. Yeah. I mean, what what I was actually more calling back then was the way the new timeline, which now there's a new, new, new timeline. Mm -hmm. But at that time, the new timeline, uh, as compared to the wall, had a lot of open real estate. And, oh, yeah, I remember and I was that. like, it's like, they, I think they're going to set up a store, you know, or they're going to set up something or they're going to set up like a wallet that you can have, like that there was just so much empty space to put things. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I theorized that there would be now there's already there's there's been like Facebook, like you could buy a Facebook gift card so yeah. that you could put money into Nobody Facebook Nobody does that, though. That I've stuff. never received one. Yeah. I mean, I think in big cities they probably do, but I've, I've never, never done it. One then either. they had Facebook <laughs> gifts where like you could send a bottle of wine or something like, I don't I don't know if it was a bottle of wine, but mm. you could send things to people. Nobody so, sent me a bottle of wine. <laughs> no, no, right. Yeah. I mean, of course, 
you know, wine. Uh, yeah, we don't drink anyway, <laughs> yeah. but still, it's the thought that counts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah. Now, now apparently they're talking to uh, Ireland and they're wanting to get some degree of financial institution status. Is that right? Yeah, they're they applied to the Irish Central Bank to become an e-money institution that would allow them to issue units of stored monetary value that represent a claim against the company. This is coming from the Irish Times. Um, so. People are speculating they're going to get into the remittances market. They're going to be um, doing mobile payments, um, which Google has also said that they're going to maybe do some more with mobile payments. They're they're always very vague when they make these kind of um, announcements. But um, apparently Facebook already has some kind of authorization as a money transmitter in the U.S. or some forms of money transfer. Google has that too. Mm -hmm, Which lets them do in-app purchases and things like that. Yeah, well, and lets you send money through Gmail, things like that. Have you ever bought anything on Facebook? Or like bought anything because you saw an ad on Facebook? No, No, never. Yeah, um, I mean, but you know, admittedly, a lot of times I have ad block on, so oh right, you can't yeah. always see it. Well, there's always that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what do you think about this? We we did have a conversation on Let's Talk Bitcoin a little while ago about um, big companies like Amazon and Google, like they don't really have to accept Bitcoin because they're probably going to try to make their own coins. They're just going to ape it. And yeah, is that I, a good thing for Bitcoin or a bad thing? Yeah, I think this is definitely a case of where they are trying to mimic Bitcoin. I do think Facebook's like the reason Facebook is buying up a lot of big name alternative companies and alternatives to kind of to what they even do, right? Uh, like Instagram or WhatsApp. Uh, and I, I think they know their time is like coming. Yeah, you know, because the young people are leaving Facebook. Yeah, Younger and, than us, we're kind of old. Right. <laughs> I mean, and Instagram has taken over as like the number one social media app on mobile devices. Mm. Uh, so fortunately, Facebook owns that. So I think maybe while they still feel they have a name and some power, they're trying to diversify as much as they can do. Uh, mm. You know, and, Do you think this will really be helpful for remittances? I mean, because if no, people, I, like a lot of people who are like in the whatever old country, you know, they don't necessarily have Facebook accounts or smartphones or whatever. Yeah. I mean, and in countries where remittances are really needed and needed in an easy fashion, Facebook's blocked. (laughs) That's a great point. So I I don't think it it really serves a purpose. Hmm. Uh, I think this is, this is, again, this is just Facebook kind of trying to pull, in my opinion, like a, uh, a late uh, early aughts Yahoo, where they're trying to be everything. Right. And that's just going to, you know, pretty much, be the nail in their coffin i think so Mm. i you know is it going to hurt bitcoin no because bitcoin is so much more yeah i mean i've always kind of thought like if these big companies like amazon or google or facebook or whatever make their own coin or their own kind of credit or whatever Mm -hmm. i think but you know of course like it wouldn't be it wouldn't have all the great features that bitcoin has things like you know um like it would probably be really easily like there would be a lot of restrictions on it. That's what I think. You know, like you wouldn't be able to use Facebook coin for off Facebook purchases and you wouldn't be able to use Facebook coin and send it to um, Iran because there's terrorists there and so forth. And you wouldn't be able to do all these. You can't, you can't, can't. It it would be all these restrictions on it. But with Bitcoin, but like people would maybe be exposed to the idea of a digital currency through something like Amazon or Facebook or Google or whatever. And then eventually they hear about Bitcoin and they're like, oh, this is like Google coin, except nobody's telling me I can't. So this is better. So I think it could be a positive thing for Bitcoin. Yeah, it might show people the advantages of Bitcoin, but I do think there's one company out of the bunch, and I know we're going to still talk about them, that could actually do the better job and that could and that wouldn't fall prey to a lot of what you're talking about and that's Amazon. Well, yeah, why don't we just go right into that and talk about it? Sure. Um, Amazon recently came out and said they are not going to accept Bitcoin because they haven't been hearing from their customers that it's right for them. So they don't have any plans for it. Now, I think that's a load of poo. It is. Um, <laughs> because I know that personally a lot of people who have been contacting Amazon for years and in fact, their entire business's Bitcoin store pretty much exists. Well, they exist as a profitable business and to make a profit and so forth. But right. and to get people on electronics for Bitcoin. But the, like a lot of their uh, reason to exist is because they're a competitor to Amazon who doesn't accept Bitcoin. Right. And you can get electronics through them at zero percent markup. 
um, with Bitcoin, but you can only use Bitcoin. And so like I, I know Roger Ver is like he's the CEO of um, Bitcoin store has like said publicly years ago, like, yeah, when Amazon starts accepting Bitcoin, you know, we'll have to change our business model or whatever. But until then, we're giving them an incentive to do it. Yeah, but I don't I mean, my opinion is, is and Overstock.com has said the same thing that as soon as enough retailers like start accepting Bitcoin, we'll have to force it'll force Amazon into taking it. Yeah, and I just don't agree. Uh, I, mm. I don't and I don't agree. With, like, I understand Roger's sentiment, but he's going to be in business for a long time because <laughs> Amazon is not. There's no, there's no reason for them to do it. They, as far as like people making plays, putting their, you know, pieces into position, mm -hmm. Amazon's a company that's been doing it in spades. Yeah. And, and I talk about something being called. I called this on my own show, Sovereign Tech, uh, two years ago. You did. I, I remember said, that. I was like, look, Amazon's going to, yeah. So I mean, does the NSA. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I told, I said, Amazon's not going to accept Bitcoin. Amazon's going to become the biggest tech company in the world. Okay. Uh, and they're really, they're, they're moving into this because Amazon already had, they already have an Amazon coin. Okay. To some degree. And I think yeah. we've even talked about this on this show in the past. Yeah. Even their graphics for it. It's like some kind of store credit thing. And it even looks like the physical Bitcoin, right. the Casatius coins. Yeah. Right. But they also have Amazon payments, which is a system that runs through Amazon that allows you to pay your bills. Mm. Okay. So, and then as far as like one of the, one of the critiques people have against Bitcoin is that it doesn't work very well at the point of sale. Okay. Right. Uh, a lot of people say that, or that it doesn't work well necessarily in the meat space in buying real products. So it's great on the internet. It's the ultimate internet currency. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, agree with that or not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Amazon is in the perfect position for that because they're already putting their delivery boxes in various stores like Radio Shack and others, mm -hmm. and they are going to be releasing their $200 Kindle point of sale system, which smokes what the average point of sale system costs, which on average is over $800 you want a good one, you're paying almost $2,000, mm. $3,000 for a great point of sale system. $200 point of sale, you've already got the system in place for, you know, internationally right. for people to buy retail goods with Amazon software right there, which means that it can automatically accept Amazon coin, mm -hmm. okay, instantaneously. So the So Amazon is really, in my opinion, the only thing that has the infrastructure that could literally make Bitcoin obsolete. Wow, that's okay. a pretty strong statement. It's a strong Brian. statement, yeah. but I think that that's entirely possible. They they are the only, not Google, not Facebook, not Microsoft, not Apple. Amazon's the only one that it has that has enough tendrils, that has enough uh, <laughs> uh, uh, tentacles out there. Yeah. You know, Amazon to, to really is becoming this. the Google of stuff. I mean, sure, they, they got really their are. own phone coming out this year too. Mm, you yeah. think that phone's going to cost six hundred bucks like Google sells them for? Yeah. No, it's going to cost probably 150 or 200 yeah people it, people would be almost dumb not to buy it and the thing and anyway. they they don't have they have this really long-term strategy too where they want to kind of get everyone hooked on their stuff and like they don't care they'll sell it cheap they, they're not like out to make big profits they're no. in the long term they want to get yeah. everyone using their stuff they, they, they don't make profits yeah they're, they they tick off their investors constantly yeah uh because they don't turn a profit and bezos just has to keep telling them look just wait <laughs> okay and that's the thing is that you've got a company that's literally willing to go for broke and that's a scare i mean and, and they did go for broke that's why they they had a bond sale last year okay you know right. buy in buy in yeah yeah and uh, you know i'd rather buy amazon bonds than u.s treasury bonds oh, hell yes uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah what are they going to do with that money sure yeah but that's the thing is they're willing to go for broke and people are willing to keep believing in them mm -hmm. so i i think they're an unstoppable company yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, there's so much talk about um, retail businesses accepting Bitcoin and we need to get we just need to get merchants on board with Bitcoin. But really, is that I don't know if that really deserves that much focus from Bitcoiners, because like when a new merchant accepts Bitcoin, usually what they do is just turn it right into U.S. dollars and use BitPay or something to pro right. Coinbase to process the payments. They're really just using it as a payment method. They're not actually holding on to the Bitcoins. They don't actually care about Bitcoin. They're just like, oh, there's a community of people who are really excited about this type of money. Well, yeah, we'll take 
money from them, sure. sure. And they don't really, like, they're not actually really moving Bitcoin forward that much, except the fact that maybe people will be exposed to it yeah. when they try to check out and say, oh, what's this Bitcoin thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing at these conferences is we've got a lot of companies, some great companies doing really great things, but let's be fair, they're... In, they're just like integrating Bitcoin into the status quo, right? Into the legacy market, okay? You know that exists, the legacy consumerism, whatever. Yeah, and that's not terribly exciting to me. I mean, you know, you could say with Amazon, like, yeah, they're not going to accept Bitcoin, but um, there there are ways to spend Bitcoin on Amazon. For instance, you can buy Amazon gift cards with yep. Bit Bitcoin through yeah, Gift or Gift or, or Gifter, whatever. Sure. There are also um, uh, gift exchanges. You know, like. Um, purse.io and broker where you can um like basically you buy something from someone's amazon wish list and then you get bitcoin in exchange for like the dollar amount of that item right you know and so that's a cool way to buy bitcoins with a credit card and you know people use those and so there's there is still bitcoin in the amazon world there is but i think a lot of the big name investors that are like interested in bitcoin Mm -hmm. i think they're starting to take an interest because they see it as the only challenger to what they might be seeing because i can't be the only one that sees amazon yeah all these companies ebay paypal they're filing patents for like digital tokens and stuff even jp morgan chase We'll see what happens, but we got to talk about some sex in the next yeah, segment. Yeah, let's get so to sex. Stay tuned at Sex and Science Hour. Sex and Science Hour is looking for sponsors. We do our best to do an entertaining show that is heard by thousands of people each week. Do you have a project, business, product, or service that could match our audience's interests? Let us know. Contact Brian at letstalkbitcoin.com to find out more. That's Brian with an I at letstalkbitcoin.com. Here at Sex and Science Hour, we really appreciate your support. We've received tips from listeners, not just in Bitcoin, but with other altcoins. Those are always listed in our show notes in case you want to send us a tip, which we thank you for very, very much. If you don't have Bitcoins, altcoins, or you just want to send us a tip in a way that's free to you, all you have to do is click on something, then you can help us out. Simply do your normal shopping on Amazon through our Amazon affiliate links. Those are listed in our show notes, and we've got Amazon US, UK, and Canada for you. Thank you so much for all your support. And now, back to the show. This is Sex and Science Hour, Segment 3. Wow, that last one went really fast, and all we did was talk about big companies and Bitcoin, so I think now we're going to talk about sex and science, yeah, the name well, of our show, <laughs> getting back to our roots here on Sex and Science Hour. By the way, I just wanted to say, um, we met so many people at the conferences we were at last week who said that they loved Sex and Science Hour, and like that was so cool. Like Sometimes when you're a podcaster, you like record shows, and you're like, does anyone actually listen to this? Like, Do people actually yeah. care? But they do, so thank you for listening, and... And thank you for telling us that you listen to the show. Uh, that's always really encouraging to us. If you want to send us um, email, relationship questions, um, show prep, you know, other issues, liberty questions, you can get us at uh, show at sexandsciencehour.com. And that will go to both me and Brian. Yeah, it was really nice actually getting to meet a lot of the listeners. Um, and uh, in fact, I even got a comment from one who said, he said, wow, you're, you're a lot bigger than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like people are used to hearing our voices because we don't do video. Video is just so much work, you know, like I don't oh, that and like I think it kills your productivity. Yeah, I think so, too. Like, there's something I really like personally about the audio medium and like listening to podcasts because it doesn't limit you. You you can do other things yeah. like drive and cook and clean and whatever you want to do. Yeah. Work on other things. Look at other have things. Sex. You have sex. Yes. Yeah. Um, sometimes we do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, audio is not limiting like video is where you kind of have to like keep your eyes on it. And so but people don't know what we look like. So then they meet us at conferences and they're like, oh, wow, you're exceptionally good looking or whatever, or yo, you don't look how I expected you to look. Right, you don't right. look how I pictured you. Well, sorry, nothing I can do about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a big guy. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's always fun to put a disembodied voice with a uh, face. But anyway, we got to get into our show prep here, Brian. Um, 
there is okay so this story has both um sex and science in it i thought it was kind of interesting and cool and it might spur a discussion because i think you and i might uh, differ on this a little bit we've talked about 3d printing organs before on this show and now apparently there um has been a team of scientists who um basically there are some women who are born with genetic um conditions where they have anatomical issues where they don't have like much of a vagina or they have like a short one or they it's absent and they of course they don't have a uterus either and so what these people did was they created like a scaffold and they grew um cells on the scaffold and they were able to like make it into kind of a tube-like shape and create like lab-grown artificial um, vaginas for these women who were born without them and then give them a transplant. And it like, you know, integrated into their body. It grew as they grew, you know, like they had the surgery when they're teenagers or whatever. And the girls reported that they had better quality of life and they were happy and so forth. So regardless of one's opinion on this matter, Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone can argue that this is absolutely amazing human ingenuity. Oh, totally. Uh, Just remarkable. I'm really looking forward to the time when we can pretty much 3D print any any type of organ. And this is quickly becoming a reality. I mean, I remember the the kind of organs that have simple structures, you know, like a, um, a bladder or a trachea or something like that, like that's just kind of a... A bladder is just kind of like a balloon, you know, mm-hmm. and so you just need like a simple um, spherical kind of scaffold for it and the, the right cell type and you can just grow one. Um, same thing with a trachea. It's kind of like a tube. And I guess with a vagina, mostly, um, you know, those are the easiest ones to start out with. Sure. Something with more complex structure like an ear or an eye or a liver or a lung is going to be more difficult, but those are coming too. Yeah, they're working on an ear, but that required a little bit of electronics. Uh, yeah. Like they put a wire in the ear to be able to receive things. I mean, it wasn't something that was just totally organic. Yeah, that's kind of a proof of concept too. Yeah. Um, but but those things are getting close to reality. So yeah, definitely amazing technology. Um, but what do you think about this from kind of a social standpoint, Brian? What? Like I, I kind of read this and maybe maybe I'm like losing my mind, but like, I sort of had this reaction like, oh, so they're printing vaginas for like the men to use with these women. Like, oh, it's a tragedy. These women don't have vaginas. Why don't we we better fix that right away? They're not printing organs that are like they're not printing like clitorises for women who get them violently circumcised in these tribal kind of traditions. They're not 3D printing foreskins for men who get them chopped off and that affects their sexual function. Um, So. You know, what do you think? Well, but you the, said you had an opposite viewpoint to that. Well, I mean, you got to admit this is better than burning off a clitoris. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, and and I, I guess, well, I wonder, my first question is, is do they feel it? You know, when when they are having sex, is there a sensation? They said they that the women reported um, better sexual function. Um, and I would assume that to a certain extent, the nerves can grow into the structure, but it's not going to be like it's not going to be like a natural vagina because sure. it doesn't have the different tissues in the different places, like yeah. the G spot or whatever. I mean, I mean, my my thoughts on this, uh, and you know, I, I describe myself as a feminist. Uh, I, I'm just going to say that I'm just glad that science is actually paying attention to women for once, mm-hmm. uh, because throughout history, <laughs> they haven't cared. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, and and. Uh, so I, I I see it as as a pretty positive thing. I get your point, though that uh, they didn't print a uterus too, and a uter- you could argue a uterus maybe somewhat similar in terms of the complexity and the structure. Right. But, but I guess they you know they're not gonna you know maybe they have issues where they're not going to be like able to reproduce anyway. But at least they yeah, can have a vagina. I don't well, know. I, I would say this. I think if you asked a woman who had uh, you know who had damage to her you know her her sexual organs, lesbian or heterosexual, or bi, whatever. If you could ask her the one thing that she could have, okay, she's and, and she's in love with someone else or whatever, I guarantee you this is the first thing she's going to ask for. Mm. Um, because, you know, I mean, there's just, there's a level of closeness. I mean, this is the thing is that, like, you know, sex is pleasure, no doubt about it, okay? But sex is also a, a very, um, it's, I don't believe in a soul, I'm an atheist, okay? But, 
It is a merging of souls. You're going to get all spiritual on me here, Brian. No, well, it is. I mean, <laughs> like, like you, it is a, it is a complete letting down of all the personal boundaries and walls that you have. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, one could find, I think, a degree of importance in having this, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the pleasure, because even if they can't feel it, okay, they still get to experience that extreme closeness, which is for me, the real beauty of sex, the real joy of sex yeah. is just that someone is willing to be that open and honest with you yeah, in it's such an a emotion- physical act. So it's like an emotional experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see what you're saying for sure. I mean, it's just one option though, when it comes to sex, like there are lots Absolutely. of other things that you can do that you can be really intimate and close with somebody else that don't require PIV, as I like to call it, penetration. Um, so yeah, I think that, that, that proves your point. And I think that there is an element of society that just focuses on vaginal intercourse as the end all be all, you know, like we've talked about this on the for on the show before, what actually is virginity? Like if someone's never had PIV heterosexual sex, sexual intercourse, you know, but they've done oral sex or they've done other acts like, are they a virgin? If they're, you know, if somebody's a so-called gold star gay, which means they've never had sex with the opposite sex, they've only been with the same gender. Are they, are they a virgin? Did they ever lose their virginity? You know, it's just like, it gets really silly and like really, really focus on this one specific act, which is a great act. But if you, if you're into it, but it's not the only thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's important, and I think that that's I think that might be where you, where maybe your your thought kind of comes in mm-hmm. um, is that yeah, if this is like the center of the and let's face it, in society it is the centerpiece of sex right. in society. It doesn't mean it's right because it's not. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think also though, if you're a woman that wants that full experience, uh, or maybe you're a guy that that is going through a transition. Yeah, that's you know, what I was. Another thing I was thinking is like, could this be useful for yeah. guys who are who are trans women who yeah. are transitioning in, to female? Sure, and in that regard, please let's do this. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I see the reservations. Like, if if a woman just feels pressured that by her maybe her mate, in that he, you know, hey, I can't put uh, I can't put my penis in you, uh, you know, well, I, you know, I got to get a vagina. Um, that's a problem. But uh, but by and large, I think it's it's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm always for people having more autonomy and choice and options to do whatever they want with their own bodies. So yeah. in that respect, it's great. And I really appreciate that these scientists did this. So I think we'll just leave it there. Thanks for talking about that with me. Sure. And, you know, I've got another Bitcoin article that I wanted to talk about that I found really entertaining. It, it's called The Do's and Don'ts of Talking About Bitcoin with Noobs. Ooh, this is a, <laughs> Have a you pet topic this? of yours. Uh, it is. It is actually since uh, since about the um, the end of last year, I've been really thinking. It's sort of like reevaluating what I want to focus on within Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and really thinking that I want more of my focus to be on reaching out to people like that don't know about it, rather than giving talks to Bitcoin people who already know everything about it. And like, I just can't compete in that realm. I'm not, I don't have like a super technical Bitcoin project that I work on. I do have a few Bitcoin projects, but they're not technical. I'm not building the newest, greatest, latest platform (laughs) that will let you control everything from a Skynet of doom. I'm not like, (laughs) you know, I'm not starting an exchange and raising millions of dollars in venture capital. I'm just someone who's interested in Bitcoin and like interested in charity and media and, and so forth. But I do like to teach people about Bitcoin, and I think I have a good way of breaking it down for people who've never heard of it before. I do too, and I think this is pretty important because I actually have experienced this where I was at a dinner just recently, mm-hmm. and one of the people at the dinners asked the waiter, "Hey, uh, do you accept Bitcoin?" And the guy's like, "Bitcoin? What's you know really what's, what's that? that? Yeah." And they just started all spouting out all these explanations, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, none of this." <laughs> Is going to help. Yeah, we didn't even you know? say anything. No, like we every, just sat there quiet. This was the party of nine people that we couldn't fit in the restaurant in New right. York to bring it full circle. And yeah, it was like one person said, hey, do you accept Bitcoin? And the guy goes, no, what's that? And everyone's like, crypto anarchism, digital currency, yeah. Silk Road. Like they just... They were just saying all this stuff and it was yeah. seemed like it was probably hard for under- yeah, <laughs> to understand. Absolutely. So um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but this person, um, Joseph S. Dietrich, who wrote this article for Coinchomp, never heard of Coinchomp before, but that's kind of cute. Um, 
He says basically um, that he like he doesn't think the word cryptocurrency helps at all. He says it it reminds people of crypto Nazis and cryptosporidium, which is a germ <laughs> found in fecal matter that causes diarrhea. Now, okay, let's be fair, Joseph. Come on, if somebody doesn't know what cryptocurrency is, they probably don't know what cryptosporidium is either. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'll take the point. I think it probably doesn't describe it too well. I like to, you know, I like to try to say like you know, math-based currency or digital cash or something like that Yeah, rather, I mean, rather I, than I, cryptocurrency. Yeah, I think using the word crypto can either make it really cool for someone or it can make it really nefarious. Yeah, depending on who you're talking to, totally. Yeah, yeah I so, agree with that. so I mean, one of the keys is certainly is gauging your audience, mm-hmm. you know, and about that. But I, 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 I do see his point, sure. Yeah. I don't think the term helps. Um, don't So don't get technical was the first tip. Be careful with ter- terminology. Um do highlight uh, social impacts and personal benefits, which I like the idea of that too. Hey, yeah. this is bringing freedom to people all over the world. And this is how entrepreneurship and remittances and micro lending and uh, use on feature phones and so forth. I think those are good ways to talk about Bitcoin. Sure, I agree. Or depending on your crowd, you could say, hey, no, this is an easy way to get drugs. <laughs> right. Well, that was the next tip. Highlight personal benefits. What can Bitcoin do for me? For some, that's a personal benefit. Yeah. And I, I, I like to try to think about that when I talk about Bitcoin. But, you know, the, the one thing that he really says that I love most of all in this article is um, go beyond words, which this has been something that I've been um, saying and thinking about a lot lately is like you can talk about Bitcoin for an hour or you can just show the person how to set up a Bitcoin wallet on their computer or phone right. or whatever, and then send them one millibit or five millibits or whatever you want to give them. And they will never, ever forget that because I've never forgotten the first person who helped me set up a wallet and the first person who gave me Bitcoins. And I, you know, I go back years later and talk to someone who I helped and they remember it too. Right. And it, it is it is so helpful, especially when you're especially when you're a new user and you're like kind of scared to ask questions. Like sometimes people are afraid they're going to look dumb if they ask questions. Sure. That's a super common fear. And so just reassuring people, no, that's not a dumb question. I had the exact same one. And here's here's what's up with that question. Right. Yeah. Um, is can go a really long way. Yeah. Have you have you had any experiences with talking to new people about Bitcoin? I mean, you're a media person. You do your your own podcast. Generally, no. Uh, I mean, just because most people that I end up talking to are already kind of on board, right? Um, I don't you don't like people anyway. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'm usually spending most of my time talking about NXT or something with them anyway. But no. <laughs> yeah. So. Another thing in this article, um, (laughs) he suggests um, don't talk, don't do overly complicated discussions about economics, Austrian or otherwise. I agree. And I thought that was really funny that he mentioned that because so I got asked to give a new user Bitcoin talk at the Toronto Bitcoin Expo. Yeah. And that was something that I also did at the Texas Bitcoin Conference. And then I did it again at the Toronto one. And I really enjoy um, doing that. And I had like a talk all prepared. But at the Toronto conference, there was another person that was scheduled um, and he was affiliated, you know, he was with the Mises Institute of Canada. Right. um, And he was scheduled like at the same time as me to do the kind of free session to bring new users on board with Bitcoin. And he had a talk prepared, too. And I didn't know we were going to kind of be going at the same time. So I wasn't sure how it would go. And he, he gave a talk that was very it was wonderful. I learned a lot. I I was enlightened, you know, like I definitely learned about history and Austrian economics, but like it was so not good for t- total noobs. You know, it was yeah. like it, he, the first thing was a Mises quote and then he went into Hayek and Rothbard and <laughs> all, all the Austrian economics and the, um, what is it? The, the re- regression theorem and just these geeky economic things that I don't think really resonated with everybody who was there as a total newbie who just was like, what the heck is Bitcoin? Um, So I agree with that. Don't get overly complicated with (laughs) economics, Austrian or otherwise. Um, Wow, are we out of time already? Well, you know, there's just one more article that I wanted to talk about. Now there's this thing like that is basically software that allows anybody to become a so-called walking Bitcoin ATM. This is going to revolutionize peer-to-peer trading. I think it's going to make it so much easier for people to trade Bitcoins in a truly decentralized way, peer-to-peer for cash. 
Yeah, um, I love the sound of this. And this is really exciting. But we are out of time, so we won't be able to talk about that too much. Email us, show at sexandsciencehour.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Stephanie, and you're Brian. Of course. And we'll be back next Thursday with more Sex and Science Hour. More sex and science. <laughs> yeah, just leave off the end science here. <laughs> <laughs> You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week.